0: Thank you, Randy. Good morning, Church at the Red Door. It's so good to see you this morning. Uh, I know I say that every week, but in my mind's eye, I see you. You know, I watch these NBA basketball games and everything, and, and they actually have cutouts of people, or uh, they actually had people uh, calling in, and then they'd be on their computer screen, and they'd show these little monitors, and so in my mind's eye, we're together. We're together, and I know we're not physically together, uh, but things are slowly, slowly starting to open up and, and again as we say every week, it uh, breaks our heart. We finally quit doing that day countdown. you know, I, I kind of thought that was a novel idea for the first uh, month, even two months, three months and then we just quit keeping track. It's just been way too long. So uh, anyway, we are uh, we're doing the best we can. Uh, we are here. We're thankful for this opportunity to be with you this morning wherever you may find yourself. So you ready to dive in? Let's go. We've been working through the Gospel of Luke. Uh, we've, been look, we've been working through chapter 4, and uh, it's significant. And significant in this way. It's significant when we look back three, two, two weeks ago, actually, uh, at Jesus in the synagogue in Nazareth when he stood up, if you'll remember from la- the last two weeks, he stood up in that synagogue and he read Isaiah 61, a portion of it. He stopped mid-sentence because uh, it was a day of good news, as we'll see today and uh, not a day of vengeance. So Jesus himself said in his conversation with Nicodemus in John chapter three, uh, the son has come to save the world, not to judge it. He didn't add yet, but we could parenthetically add yet. Uh, So that's important. Jesus will come back in judgment. He will set all things right. He will, uh, the discovery of his family around the world, we'll know them all and we'll be able to spend eternity together. Uh, And that was always the plan. That's what the prophets had foreseen. That's what Jesus then stood up in that synagogue in Nazareth and said, these things are being fulfilled in your hearing. Last two weeks, it actually took took me a little longer to work through that than I had originally anticipated, but I wanted you to see that Jesus was confronting. He was confronting through sign and miracle. He was confronting the unseen realm, which was the demonic realm, and showing his authority over that realm. And as we'll see today, Uh, He was beginning to take authority over the seen realm through sickness and disease and, yes, even raising the dead. So there were some extraordinary things that Jesus was beginning to do to validate his claim of Isaiah 61 being fulfilled in that moment in time 2,000 years ago. Again, as I alluded to, it's reverberating down through the last 2,000 years. Billions have been served. Billions have been transformed by this ministry, this coming of, as we'll see this morning, the expected one. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Luke chapter four. We're gonna read 38 through 41. Are you ready? Verse 38. Then he, that's Jesus, got up and left the synagogue. Now again, this is not Nazareth. He is now at Capernaum, if you'll remember, the place of Peter's residence. And entered Simon, or Peter's house, Now, Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a, a very high fever, and they asked him to help her, and standing over her, he rebuked the fever, and it left her, and she immediately got up, and she waited on them, and while the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and laying his hands on each one of them. He was healing them. Demons also were coming out of many, shouting again, as we see, we saw last week, "You are the Son of God." They knew exactly who he was. But rebuking them, he would not allow them to speak because they knew him. They knew him to be the Christ. A couple of points of emphasis. First, I want to look at why was Jesus uh, disallowing the demons to speak? Well, I think there are a number of reasons. We're going to look at it a little bit more this morning. Uh, but one of the reasons was, uh, why, why? in other words, why be quiet? Well, he, he knew exactly that he was going to have to go to the cross. He, he did not want, there was already going to be a push for him to take his kingship. I mean, they were seeing the miraculous. They were seeing the extraordinary right in front of them. Many of them didn't need any more proof. This is the Messiah. He, again, from their perspective, from their optic, their optics, was going to overthrow Rome. And now these demons were beginning to speak and confirm that, in fact, this was the Son of God. The evil in the lives of many of these people, they themselves were speaking. And let me tell you, secondly, I don't think Jesus wanted the demonic to be the, the sole voice in, uh, or at least a, a significant voice in being a sign that he was, in fact, the Son of God. And so he refused them the ability to speak. In other words, the time wasn't yet. He was going to be the wounded victor. He was going to have to go to the cross. But at the same time, he didn't want the primary sign to be the demon speaking. It wanted to be his actions. It wanted to be his demonstration and as we'll see again this morning, his fulfillment of what the prophets had seen. Okay, so I I believe that's true. And we're going to look in a minute at Matthew chapter 11, which we're going to go forward in the ministry of Jesus. And we're going to look at an encounter he had with John. I've talked about this before. I've taught on this many times. It's a very significant portion of Scripture. But again, it's confirming that Jesus was demonstrating his right and his authority over dominion, over all creation, both the seen and the unseen realm. Now, I want to go back also... Simon's or Peter's mother-in-law was there. I don't know why he would uh, heal the mother-in-law. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. My mother-in-law lives with us and she's watching this morning. I know that they always watch on Sunday mornings. And so I love my mother-in-law, let me be clear. And, uh, but anyway, he, he did this amazing miracle, uh, Simon's mother-in-law. She just happened to be, she just happened to be present. You know, one of the things, and I've said this many times, is that what, when Jesus begins to manifest himself in someone, in a community, uh, in a person, in an individual, people around that activity of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, people around that activity, they all get wet. When Jesus is lifted up, everybody that's near begins to uh, have the benefits of Jesus poured out on them. And again, that's why we see, especially in the book of Proverbs, again, I'm going through a long study of Proverbs with uh, a number of men, and and we constantly see, leave the presence of a fool. Find yourself in the presence of the wise. Do whatever it takes to find people who live in wisdom, and ultimately today living in wisdom is to live in the presence of Jesus, To to have him control our lives. And so when we find people, if you will, that are further along on the journey, that are living in great wisdom, living more in the presence of Jesus, let me tell you something. I'm not fool. I want to find those people, I want to get in their presence, coffee, dinner, lunch, whatever it is. I want to spend time with those because I'm gleaning things that I don't even realize that I'm gleaning. I think we could probably all agree that just being in the presence uh, of someone who is wiser than we are, we pick up things that we remember, but there are other subtle things that we don't even realize we're picking up. Maybe the way that they treat their spouse is an example. Uh, just the way their marriage, the way they encounter other people, and their priorities, their ability to love. I I happened to uh, crawl into bed last night, and Laura had to have the TV on a little bit, and she was watching the story on Mr. Rogers. You know, the, there was a uh, a movie made on Mr. Rogers' life, and it was and it was just his his ability to care, he would go in and he would ask specific questions about people and their children and was insightful and not, not aware of his own celebrity really at all. He was just so humble and, and it really was a picture of this, of this man in real life. And uh, it was a fascinating insight into the simplicity of watching someone else demonstrate the love of Jesus Very much what we see here, Jesus was healing everyone. Everyone was brought to him, he was healed. It shows that our God has great compassion down to the individual. It's not that just God loves America or God loves Europe or God loves Africa. No, or God loves the world. He certainly does, but he also loves the individual. And when I'm around people that are aware, constantly aware, having awareness, in other words, and we're going to look at this a little bit more next week, don't just go through the line uh, uh, with a cashier and see that person as an ATM, but there's a soul back there. There's someone, a living, vibrant soul there, and we, we encounter them. We can look them in the eye. We can, we can care about them, may even anticipate Jesus speaking to our heart some way that we might be able to give them an encouraging word or whatever, a demonstration of love. When we're around those people that are sensitive to that, It spills out on us. And in this case, it was actually a direct physical healing. Uh, Simon Peter's mother-in-law was healed. But when we're around people, we grow, again, in wisdom just by observation. Interpersonal relationship, marriage, finances, just watching how people deal with their finances. All these things are a function of living in the presence of Jesus through the wise, through those who have adopted his lifestyle, through those who have become essentially apprentices of Jesus, and that's important for us to see. So again, that's just a quick observation. Uh, Simon, having now reached out, decided to follow Jesus, being in his presence, and those in in Simon's family, uh, his mother-in-law in this case, were healed. And then also one last observation, when she was healed, what happened? As we saw last week, there was an immediate response to that. There wasn't just, oh, thank you and uh, and leaving. You'll remember the story uh, that uh, of the 10 lepers and all 10 were healed and nine, you know, skipped down the road and one, it was only one that came back and, you know, fell down and said, thank you for healing me. Uh, there's a tendency to do that. But very often when people are touched deeply by Jesus, there's an immediate desire to, to serve, to lift him up, to glorify him, to worship him. And that's what I get a little bit from this passage. Now, I want to talk now a little bit more. I want to go back into a passage in Matthew chapter 11. And we're going to see an encounter that Jesus had right before John the Baptist was beheaded. And it's it's going to be important that we understand that Jesus and his miracle working ministry I know it's often criticized, it's often mocked in our culture today, you know, Jesus the miracle worker and everything, but you've got to understand, this was not just a David Copperfield in Las Vegas act, this was not just some kind of, you know, magic show, this wasn't any of that, this was Jesus, again, confirming in in his audience, and to us today, you know, again, what's so powerful about this is that I can go back into the Old Testament, and let me say this, I say this often, Many of you will have heard me say this hundreds of times. But again, let's realize that Isaiah was writing 700 years before the time of Jesus. Uh, this was codified. This is what we would call the Old Testament. was codified well in advance of Jesus. Jesus now takes this, this document, this collection uh, of books from hundreds of years prior to his life and said, each one of these things that these prophets were seeing, they're being fulfilled in me. And we're going to look at that with more specificity. And we're going to have a particular incident in which Jesus, rather than, I can imagine some different responses he would have had to John, but he such a gracious response. Now, as we'll pick this up, I want you to, if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 11. We're just going to read 1 through 6, starting here in verse 11. Okay, it says when Jesus had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John, John the Baptist, while imprisoned, heard, now catch this, heard of the works of Christ. Okay, so John, you'll remember, John encountered Jesus at the baptism. And now John's been in prison by Herodias and, and, and on her command, really, uh, and he's now in prison and he knew, he, he declared, you know, this is the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God when Jesus was coming down to be baptized. He fully believed that this was the expected one at that moment. But now he's in prison. This is not how he saw this thing going down. Now he's in prison. And he's wondering, is this the one or not? I, did I make a mistake? I mean, you can imagine this uh, this crisis that was going on in his life. Did I? Am I being imprisoned for something that's not, in fact even going to happen. And yet in prison, he's hearing about, again, the works of Christ. What are those works? His taking authority over the unseen realm, the demonic, and his the miracles that he's beginning to perform in, in amazing ways. And he's hearing about this. So John sent word by his disciples and said to him, by his disciples, meaning John's disciples, said to him, are you the expected one or shall we look for someone else? What did he mean by the expected one? Are you the one that all the prophets have foreseen? Or Are you the one who's going to redeem Israel, restore Israel, bring Israel back into their proper position in the world? That was his perspective. Are you the expected one? Now, again, I don't think John fully fathomed that this was, in fact, the wounded victor. Even though he said, Behold the Lamb of God, I believe that was under the powerful inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I don't know that John fully understood that this messianic figure would also be the suffering victor, the wounded victor, if you will. Are you the expected one or should we look for someone else? And Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John. You go back to John. Now, my my response, you know, I think about interpersonal relationships. Had I had someone so close to me, I mean, they, they grew up in and around one another. I mean, you know, Elizabeth and Mary. I mean, they were, they were a few months apart in terms of their own birth. And now he's calling into question the very identity, the reality of who Jesus was. Was he a phony or not? And Jesus' response is so instructive here. Boy, maybe you're in a relationship right now, and maybe you've been uh, falsely accused in some way or something, Jesus' response in such grace is such a picture. I mean, I, it's, I want this. I want to be able to respond like this. This is a, gra- this is a graphic picture of the graceful response. Jesus could have easily said, look, who does John think he is? Go back and tell him he's going to rot in prison. You know, I mean, Jesus knew the fate of John. But listen to Jesus' gracious and wondrous words. Go and report to John what you hear and see. Tell him about the works, and then he says this. Jesus answered and said to them, "Go and report to John. Now, what? What's going to be the evidence that he is the expected one? Well, the blind are going to receive sight, and and the lame are going to walk. The lepers are going to be cleansed, and the the deaf are going to hear. And, well, guess what? The blind are going to receive. Excuse me. The lepers and the deaf are going to hear. The dead are going to be the dead are going to be raised up." And the poor, and there's a couple of times that Jesus raised someone from the dead during his ministry, not the least of which was Lazarus. And the poor had the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who does not take offense or uh, stumble, if you will, stumble over me. Stumble or t- be, take offense at me. He goes on to really lift John back up. You see those that are great in the kingdom I mean up until now John's the greatest in the kingdom but he was least in the kingdom and I've gone into quite a bit of teaching on that as well and what that meant Jesus would John would be beheaded before the atonement and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit but John to this point Jesus is lifting up in such a profound way not only does he not only criticize and take John to task he actually lifts him up and commends him before uh the the disciples here John's disciples And his as well, as we can see. Because uh, Luke is uh, writing this from the hand of one of the disciples. From the insights of one of the disciples. So, what we're seeing here, folks, is is something extraordinary. Jesus is saying, tell John, don't argue. Don't say, how are you? How could you feel this way? I can't believe after all the years we've known one another. After all the times we've skipped stones across the Galilee or whatever. You know, I mean, I can't believe. You know, it wasn't this he said, just go tell him. And then he begins to quote these various things. He he goes into three primary cra- uh, categories. Tell him that the good news is being proclaimed. Tell him that people are being raised from the dead and tell him people are being healed. Diseases are being eliminated. You know, the deaf, the blind, the lame, uh, a, a miraculous thing is occurring here. What Jesus is doing, whether you're aware of it or not, is he's taking kind of a compilation of a number of places Isaiah most most specifically had seen in advance hundreds of years in advance that would occur now this gets a little complex in terms of breaking this down because sometimes people would say well this was for the immediate fulfillment in Israel or this was for the future fulfillment in Israel and in our place and time uh, some of these things are actually occurring even in our lifetime we we as a church are well aware of the spiritual revolution that's happening in Jesus in the, in the Middle East and more specifically even in Israel. And so a lot, many Jewish people are coming to believe in Jesus as the expected one for very good reason. And our association with Israel College of the Bible and other things are really bearing that out. So sometimes when you go back to Isaiah's prophecies, there's movement, there's judgment in this chapter and then there's this glorious picture of the future and then there's this, and then there's more judgment, and then there's something specifically applying to Israel in that moment in time, whether that be under King Hezekiah or otherwise. Some then point to a distant future, and they seem not only to incorporate Israel, but they seem some of these prophecies seem clearly to incorporate all of mankind. And so sometimes it's a little hard to dissect, but Jesus just begins to pick out of their own and you can interpret them any way you want and is it relating to israel or the future or the church as a whole but the point is jesus begins to selectively pick all these things out in these various passages and we're going to look at a few of them this morning and saying these are all being fulfilled this is the explanation this is what isaiah was seeing and you can tell john that these things are occurring again the gospel is being preached the dead are being raised And guess what? People are being healed in various ways. Uh, Not the least of which, which we've just seen, uh, Peter's mother-in-law was healed of a high fever. So some things that may, uh, she might have overcome that in just a day or so. Uh, But other things that were very profound and meaningful all the way to the raising of the dead. Now, again, this is proof that he was, in John's words, the expected one. Let's go back now in Isaiah and check some of this out. Let me tell you something. Let's stop for a second. I, I don't know about you, but when I go back, and I alluded to this last week, when I think about the ministry and the life of Jesus, what, what do you put out in your future right now as a hope? Maybe you want to sell a business, or maybe you've got your house up for sale, and if you could sell your house, well, you could move to somewhere that's really going to make you, you know, happy. If I could just get here, we'll be really happy. You know, or maybe you're well, windfalls around the corner, or maybe you're just desiring that, you know, one of your kids or grandkids or somebody gets married, or maybe you're wanting to get married. And if I can just get married, let me tell you something. All those fall so far short of this moment in human history. What we're talking about is the similar moment. As followers of Jesus, as believers that he was the expected one, this should be more engaging, uh, more exciting, more. Uh, mind-boggling, much more something to hold on to than the temporal things of this world. Let's, Let's refocus this morning and understand the gravity of this encounter that Jesus is having with mankind. And again, now what Isaiah was seeing and then Jesus saying, look, this is all being confirmed. This is all being fulfilled right now. Can you see it? Can you hear it? It's happening now even as the prophet Isaiah had seen in Isaiah 29. Something so wondrous, you wouldn't even believe it if you saw it. I mean, this is what Isaiah was seeing. Let me tell you something. We're looking back 2,000 years to Jesus' you know, three and a half year or so ministry. But again, that ministry continues in our day. Continues. Is it continuing in your heart this morning? Does this get you more excited than any other thing on this world? It should because it has promised not only for this life, but for all of eternity, your soul. Okay, so let's go to Isaiah 61. Again, this is what Jesus had stood up to proclaim. If you'll remember, he stood up and parted it. Verse two says, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And then he stopped. And then it says, on the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Well, he didn't include the day of vengeance. So we want to know, is this the day? Is this the favorable year of the Lord? It's a picture of, in an overarching way of the glorious news which is all what all, all that gospel really means, this is the news. Okay, now let's go back to I just alluded to it, Isaiah chapter 29 verses 18 and 19. And in fact, I'm going to go back. I'm going to I'm going to do something here real quick. I want to I want to go back and look Isaiah 29, I just alluded to it, but I just want you to have this in your in your head. Isaiah 29, I'm going to read 18 and 19 here in a second, but I want to start all the way back to uh, verse 13. And so Isaiah was struggling because this, and God speaking here says, uh, the Lord said, because this people, that's the the Jewish people, draw near to me with their words and they honor me with their lip service, uh, but they remove their hearts far from me and their reverence for me consists of tradition learned by rote. In other words, these are religious people, but their hearts are a million miles away from me, the Lord is saying. But then there's a shift in this chapter 29, and he says, Therefore, behold, I will once again deal marvelously with this people, wondrously marvelous. And the wisdom of their wise men will perish, and the discernment of their discerning men will be concealed. In other words, there's going to be an overthrow of the religious establishment." those who have learned many things by rote, but their hearts are a million miles away from me. And I'm going to deal wondrously with this people. I'm going to, there's going to be new shepherds coming. Jeremiah saw this and others. And then we get down to verse 18 and 19. What's that going to look like? And Jesus draws some of this language out in response to John the Baptist. Are you with me? Let me say this again. John's question, is this the expected one? Jesus draws some of the language out of this Isaiah 29 passage in response to John. Okay, are you ready? Verse 18 and 19. On that day, those who are deaf will hear the words of a book. Okay? And for them, it was the Old Testament. They would be reading the prophets. For us, today, it's the old and new. But for them, it would have been the Old Testament. And out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of those Who are blind will see. Now, this is not just talking about a physical healing. This is really more talking about a spiritual healing, spiritual eyes. This is good news. This is the favorable year of the Lord. The afflicted also will increase their joy in the Lord, and the needy of mankind will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. So, Isaiah was seeing something coming, something wondrously marvelous. In the middle of religious tradition and heaviness, you know, some of you may have experienced that in your life. Religion can be heavy and drag you down and just obligation and you learn things by road and you're sitting there and words are coming out of your mouth. But you're on the eighth tee wondering if you're going to hit an eight iron or a seven iron that afternoon. You know what I mean? I mean, just, there's nothing there. The passion is gone. And here God intervenes so that's the case With Israel, But there's coming a day, and it came 700 years later. And he's going to deal wondrously, uh, marvelously with them. And how so? He's going to send his own son. And these things are going to hurt. The gospel is going to be preached. Spiritual eyes are going to be open. It's going to overturn the old establishment that was just by rote. Now, there was also predictive prophecy in Isaiah of raising of the dead. Let's go to Isaiah 26. 19 go back three chapters I did 26 19 here again i won't go into the full context we don't have time but here's the prophecy your dead will live their corpses will rise i mean you could take this figuratively or spiritually or whatever but i, I think this is really a picture of raising the dead which jesus clearly did during his ministry you who lie in the dust awake and shout for joy for your due is as the dew of the dawn and the earth will give birth To the departed spirits. Now, ultimately, this is a picture of the total resurrection at the end of time. But it's also something that Jesus, taking a future reality, is bringing into the present to confirm that, yes, he was the expected one. Powerful. Yes, there will be a resurrection. Let's stop for a minute. You may be online or wherever, and you go, I still don't know if I can really believe that there's life after death. When I breathe my last, is it over? Is it done? Have you kind of held to a religious tradition, but deep down you're still a hold to a materialistic worldview that all we really have is what we can see, taste, touch, and feel? And when we put somebody in the ground, it's over. There's no more them. There's no soul or spirit. It's just all a fabrication of man's desire to go beyond this life. Maybe somewhere... That's uh, something that holds you. Now Jesus is entering the stream of humanity, harking back again to Isaiah's prophecy and say, Isaiah wasn't just dreaming. In fact, I'm going to show you, I'm going to give you a glimpse of the end of time when everyone will emerge from the dust and some will go into glory. Those who've loved Jesus and other ones will be eternally separated from the very creator and lover of their soul by their own decision. I'm going to bring it into the stream of humanity now. And Jesus did and he raised people from the dead as did some others as well. So this is a fascinating picture of Jesus, again, claiming to be the expected one and also giving humankind a hope. Again, you'll notice what we've just seen in Isaiah 29. It really was. The needy of mankind will rejoice. Why? What we're already seeing. Not only was Jesus raising people, Jesus was raised from the dead himself and and lastly I want to talk about again the miraculous so again in talking about the favorable year of the Lord in in the synagogue in Nazareth he now is going to respond in part most of what Jesus is alluding to I think in Matthew 11 to John's disciples is he's harking back to Isaiah 35 I won't spend too much time here but I'm going to read through this I, I this should get you fired up this was being fulfilled in their hearing Isaiah 35, the wilderness and the desert will be glad and the Arabah will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will blossom profusely and rejoice with rejoicing and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. Now, can this give a future picture of Israel? Well, if you've ever been to Israel, you'll know that the desert is physically and literally blooming. They're filling the world with fruit. And flowers. Israel is one of the greatest growers. Great growing climate, drip irrigation system that was really uh, first invented and and, and prospered there in Israel. has gone all over the world. Israel is a thriving desert now. Much of this is happening literally, but it's also beginning to happen spiritually and has been occurring, spiritually speaking, in the wilderness of many of our lives around the world that are non-Jews. They will see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Encourage the exhausted. I hope that's happening to you. Maybe you're just exhausted from this coronavirus or whatever. Be encouraged. Strengthen the feeble. Say to those with an anxious heart. Maybe you have an anxious heart today. Take courage. Don't fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. The recompense of God will come, but he will save you. In other words, there's that picture again in Isaiah's scene a wounded victor, a warrior who will set things right, but also someone who will save. And how did Jesus save? Through being wounded, by going to the cross. So again, we get this duality in God coming to earth and both being wounded and taking a, a, a dominion position in the world. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. The lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. Waters will break forth in the wilderness and the streams of the Arabah. The scorched land will become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water and the haunt of jackals its resting place. Grass becomes reeds and rushes. In other words, things are coming to life. You know, this beautiful picture of life. And a highway will be there, a roadway. It'll be called a highway of holiness. Many of you have already entered this highway and you are walking on this highway. In a very figurative way, you're walking towards Zion or Jerusalem in the presence of God. It was always said, that's where I'm going to put my name. And in a figurative sense, you're moving toward the presence of God on this highway of holiness. The unclean will not travel on it. In other words, this will be Not just people because they're good, but they will have been cleaned. And we now know that that's through the blood of Jesus. But it will be for him who walks that way. Fools will not wonder on it. Uh, By the way, if you get on this highway, you're going to be on a highway with the proverbially wise. Everyone's getting wet on this highway. You're part of this family or just the, the church universal. You're getting wet by being around people. Now, sometimes people will come into a church. By the way, your church is not the highway. There are people in your church that are on the highway. In other words, others who are not. The unclean won't be there. Cling to those because everybody gets what. No lion will be there. No, no vicious beast will go up. They won't be found there. And again, this is a beautiful picture. We see this in Hosea as well. The redeemed. Where is he getting this word, redeemed? The, the wounded part of the victor. It's not just a guy that's coming back as a, mighty warrior king the redeemed how do they how do they become redeemed how were they bought back if you will through the blood of jesus the ransomed of the lord will return they will come with joyful shouting to zion everlasting joy on their heads they'll find gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing will flee away now in this life we have sorrow we have sighing if you will you know some of you may have felt that even recently, I, I have over the last few weeks, there have been moments where it's just kind of like, uh, you know, I, it's just so many things kind of got thrown at us for, there for a few weeks. And there's a moment, you just, uh, I'm tired of all these things occurring. There's coming a day when that's going to flee away. And again, that's Jesus coming back to set all things right. So you see what Isaiah is And again, Jesus is drawing some of this language To prove to John the Baptist in prison that, well, I'm the expected one because these things are already beginning to occur. Part of that was his confrontation in the scene realm with the visibly sick, with disease, an infirmary, and even raising the dead. So I hope you can see that. Now, before we finish this morning, I think it's important that I at least touch on this concept when I say concept, on the reality of healing, uh, many struggle with this. So there are two camps. We've talked about this at various points. There are two camps in the church today. Some secessionists that say, look, God's, God's not doing what he did in the New Testament church because it was for a sign to confirm first Jesus and then the apostolic authority in, his, in, in lieu of Jesus having been raised from the dead and ascending back to the Father. And then there's another camp that said no these gifts have not ceased and it's not just the gift of healing but it's all many of these other supernatural gifts they continue today and 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 then some in the word of faith community said it's all a function of faith and if you have enough faith you'll always be healed and and so there're kind of not only two camps but there's there're two primary camps and then there's even kind of two divisions within this other camp that the gifts have not ceased I I find myself often in places, look, There are a These were sign healings of Jesus. I personally, maybe on the, and I hear about some of these, on the cutting edge of where the gospel is going into unreached places, sometimes the miraculous occurs, the raising of the dead, and, and some very miraculous signs occur at the tip of the point, at the tip of the sword, when the gospel's going into unreached people groups. Now, this is Almost being eradicated in in our very lifetime. There's rare, almost no people group that hasn't been touched by some kind of missionary effort. The globe has become, as we all know through globalization, very small. So there, you know, there's no Columbus going around, you know, sailing across the ocean looking for new land. I mean, we we've got global satellite. We we've got everything we need. We know where the people are. So some of those sign sign healing, sign miracles, raising the dead, etc. We don't see so much. So the question is, well, does God not heal anymore? Here's a couple things I know. Here's a couple things I know. Let's go to James chapter 5. This is very much part of the very fabric of Church at the Red Door. If you're sick, we certainly when we were gathering, we had a place through prayer, come up, anoint you with oil. We try to follow a James 5.14. We believe that God still heals we also believe that God doesn't always heal. Psalm 139 says very clearly that what? Well, that God knows your inner form, substance even before there was any of you and yet your number your days were numbered on this earth. People have died for 2000 years. Many believers have died of some kind of disease. Many believers have not been healed. It's not the same kind of sign thing that we see with Jesus. Here in Simon Peter's house, right where everyone came and they were all being healed, those are that was sign miracles. But James five fourteen says, if anyone among you is sick, then he must call for the elders of the church. They're to pray over him, anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. He goes on to say, and saying and they'll be made well. Sometimes that occurs, but does it occur every time? Is James five fourteen a promise? Of a continuation of what Jesus was doing here in Capernaum. And I would say, even in the life of the early church, it wasn't. We get this uh, most clearly in 2 Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Listen to what had happened here. If everybody, and certainly this was by the hands of the apostles, they clearly had a different kind of authority than we see today. I prayed for people and I've seen people be healed. I have, I've seen them be healed. I've seen medical miracles, too. Now, you say, well, medical miracles are not, that's just medicine, that's humanism. That secularists would just say, that's just the rise of humankind. I'm telling you, I think it's the very grace of God that's given wisdom and insight into the medical community to heal. So I don't consider that less godly and more something that we can raise up humanity as being divine. I consider that still miraculous. And many of you would say you would have died I was looking at not it hadn't too long ago the average in the world the average age range was 27 the the time that people died on average was 27 that's only a few hundred years back and then even early on and in this in the 20th century early on it was like in the 50s right I could have already been gone but. Now it's, it's creeping back. Some of that is God's grace. Some of that is through medicine. That's, that's miraculous to me. That's the intervention of God and the human intellect too. It's a beautiful thing. But we're talking about the miraculous. We're talking about the, the, this intervention of the supernatural realm and turning over the laws of physics as we know it and, and in creating a miracle. Okay, 2 Timothy 4.19, was everybody healed that got in reach of the apostolic authority that clearly had miraculous signs accompanying it? Well, not everybody. 2 Timothy 4.19, greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, but Trophimus I left sick at Miletus. So here's Paul writing a letter to Timothy. Paul clearly had apostolic authority, clearly saw people healed at his hands. We get Read the book of Acts. And yet here's an insider, Trophimus, and they had to leave him behind because he was ill. Well, why wasn't he healed? But already in the early church, even at the hands of the apostles, not everyone was healed. As I alluded to a minute ago, for 2,000 years, godly men and women have perished And not all of them died of nothing. At some point, the fallen state that we live in, the the humble little shells that we have, coupled with Psalm 139, which our days are numbered, look, these merge and people pass. I mean, this last year, I I think of precious friends, you know, Lois Landau, many others I won't go into, that we prayed for, we believed for. I've I've talked at various points was a lot of faith that, you know, things were going to occur, and then they passed. Does this dislodge us intellectually from believing that Jesus or the apostles in the early church healed often many at a time? Jesus here, all were healed at various moments in his ministry, sometimes not even. Those were sign miracles. Let's make a distinction between sign miracles and then the grace-filled, loving God who's compassionate, and long-suffering, and desires you to accomplish your task on the earth and may keep some of you alive. I know many of you, even this last year, you've been given an extension of life through either medical or miracle or both, or the merger. I, to, again, as I said, medical is a miracle to me, right? So what is it? Well, again, I don't. I don't think we're need to experience, science. I don't need proof. If I get sick tomorrow and you hear of my demise and I'm gone in a month, I have somehow, I may be speaking to you now, preferably not, but I'm, who knows, I might have stage four cancer I'm unaware of and I may be gone in a month. Don't let, Don't you dare let that affect your faith in the veracity of the signs of Jesus and his demonstration of power. Those were sign miracles confirming that he was the expected one. But also have faith. Believe, pray, be anointed, be part of a congregation, be anointed by the elders of the church. And if your time's not up and God has more of your race for you to run, then he's going to heal you through either medicine or maybe even a supernatural intervention. I've seen both. So I think we need to have a clear, balanced perspective of what it is and what it is not. Healing, I'm not a secessionist. It still exists today. We are to pray, believing that God will heal. And But when he doesn't, that time of that individual was up. It may disappoint us. And I even think in closing here, I even think, you know, Jesus was talking to his disciples and he was talking to Peter and some of the other disciples were hearing, and he told Peter, he said, you know, you're, you're going to be bound and taken to a place that you don't want to be taken. And Peter said, well, what about them? He goes, don't worry about them. Don't worry about them. You, you, you walk out the path that I've given you, Peter, where however that ends, and they'll walk out the path that they've been ordained before the foundations of the earth, and we can rest in that. So anyway, I hope that that's been uh, helpful. We're going to move in next week. I'm excited about next week because we're going to talk a little bit about Jesus going away to the mountain. I'm going to talk a little bit about our culture and just the constant blather through media and our phones and the internet and everything else and how we too need to remove ourselves. So, and I'm going to give you some very, uh, I think some meaningful insight, but by some commentators modern day commentators about the phone and about the media and about all the other things and i'm going to encourage you next week as we look at the lifestyle and practices of jesus why because folks we are two apprentices of jesus i love you have a great day Uh, can't wait to see you soon